And as the kids make their way out of the sanctuary, if you please turn in your copy of God's Word to Second uh, Kings chapter four, Second Kings uh, chapter four. And as you turn there, I just want to give you a, a bit of news. Um, as some of you may have seen it in the paper and have heard already that Miss um, Patsy uh, Quinton uh, passed away uh, this past week uh, with her battle uh, of lung cancer. Uh, her service will be uh, tomorrow here uh, at the church at 2 o'clock. Uh, the, the family will receive visitors uh, following the service. So if you want to know any more information, you can just come and see me. Uh, also, I just want to make sure that you are continuing to pray for uh, Olin and Louise Hollis. Uh, Olin has uh, gotten to the point and his battle for cancer where uh, the day of his passing is imminent. So we want to be praying uh, for strength uh, for Owen and Louise. Uh, if you do uh, plan on, on visiting, um, if you would just let me know. Uh, they would like uh, just kind of shorter visits uh, at this point uh, as he's getting so close uh, to be with the Lord. Um, and as we looked at those requests, we do want to just, uh, I also just want to thank uh, all, of the, all of you who came uh, in, on the request of Max Phillips. Uh, sometimes when Max asks you to do something, you just can't say no. Uh, so we are grateful uh, that you are here. Uh, we're also just uh, grateful for Max. Uh, many of you know him in a lot of different contexts, but uh, the thing that we love about Max is uh, Max loves the Lord our God. Uh, he has been faithful to the Lord, and he loves all people, uh, from old to young, and we are grateful for him. Uh, so, Max, thank you for leading worship today, and thank you for being a godly man. Uh, we love you, brother. Amen? Um, I'm not sure if he heard me, but let's just hope he did. Um, uh, well, we want to uh, honor the Lord and uh, how we hear his word, and one of the ways that we do that here is before the word of God is preached, we, we stand in reverence for the word to prepare our hearts to hear it. So please stand for the reading of God's word. Second Kings chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. One day, Elisha went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold, now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. So whenever he comes to, comes to us, he can go in there. Amen. Please be seated. Let us pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, I am so grateful uh, that we have uh, a God who delights to hear the prayers of his people. So, Father, we bring our requests before you now. God, we first pray for the needs of our community. We ask that you would be with the family of Patsy Quinton, to be with Jan and Lori and her family. We thank you so much for Patsy's uh, life of faithfulness, God, how she loved you and served your church. We pray, God, that you would just minister uh, to her family by the power of your spirit. We pray that in her services, God, that you would draw people to yourself, God, that they would uh, not just uh, say that they believe, God, but they would truly walk in obedience to you. So, Father, I pray that you would honor uh, Patsy's last request, Father, that you would draw her family back to your church. Father, we also just pray for uh, Olin Hollis, God, our dear brother, who's just uh, facing these last days. Uh, God, as our congregation just has a heavy heart when we think of Owen and Louise, God, I pray that you would just move by the power of your spirit. God, we know it is always bittersweet when a dear saint uh, passes away. We know that when one of yours uh, passes into your kingdom, it is precious in your sight. God, we, we pray that we would look at, look at death in that way as precious for believers. And yet, God, we mourn and grieve. So, God, I pray that you would just wrap us up in your spirit. We pray that you'd be with Louise and uh, Jeff and Jamie in particular, God. Show them your kindness. 
Father, we thank you so much for uh, what you're doing in the life of our, of our body. Father, we thank you for Max Phillips and his life. God, we thank you so much for another year you've given him. Father, we pray that this coming year, God, you would continue to use him for your glory. We, we pray that you would honor his request, Father, to be able to stay in his home, Lord, and uh, continue to serve uh, your church. Father, we pray that we uh, would learn faithfulness from him. Father, we also just thank you again for Sarah and uh, all our uh, missionaries who are going out. Father, we pray that you would just be with her, Lord, that you would strengthen her, that you would mark her with wisdom and grace. Father, we pray that you would take care of all the logistics, Lord God. Um, Father, we pray that you would just have your hand upon our life. God, we also just thank you so much uh, for Casey and Anna as we think about a time just to, to celebrate with the work that you've done. Uh, Father, we thank you that you have used them to change the complexion of our church, God, that, that our church looks drastically different because of their labors. And Father, we know that they're not going far, God, they're just taking a different role uh, in our body. And God, I pray that you would just uh, continue to use them, Father, and that you would allow them to know that their work was fruitful. Father, we thank you so much for, for them. God, we pray today that they would uh, feel the love of this body. Lord God, we also just thank you for the, the, the nation in which we live. We do pray that you would be with uh, our, our justice system, God, and all the, the, the different judges who are surrounded in uh, the different appellate courts and different courts across our lands. We pray, God, that they would be humble as they uh, disperse judgments, understanding that they themselves will be judged by you. Father, we also just pray that the gospel would go forth in, in other uh, churches in our area. We pray for uh, First Baptist Church this morning and Pastor Steve Hall. We pray, God, that you would just uh, guard Steve's life. God, we pray that as he preaches your word, that you would tether him to the word of God, that as he announces your word, that you would draw people to yourself. Father, we also ask now as we come to hear the word of God ourselves in this church, God, I pray that I would, uh, would decrease and that you would increase, God. I pray that I would just hide myself um, behind the cross, Lord God. Uh, as, the, as the word of God goes forth uh, today, we pray that you would sharpen and strengthen uh, your people, God. Uh, we are so grateful for what you're doing in the life of our body, Father, for, for sending people to all parts of the world, God, for, for new marriages. We pray for Stacey and Braden as they get married this coming week. God, we pray you bless them. Father, for people uh, being faithful in their homes. God, you're such an abundant God. And now as we come to your word, God, we ask for that abundance to show itself yet again, Lord. So as, as the Spirit um, works through this passage and rests upon our hearts, God, I pray that you would help us see uh, you afresh. Help us see uh, how we're called to live in a way that would honor and please you. So, God, I pray that in this complex world we live, we pray that this passage today, uh, written um, thousands of years ago, God, would, would still resonate with our hearts this morning. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, in most liturgical churches, the church that I grew up in, the Lutheran church, every single week you read one of two creeds. You either read the Apostles' Creed uh, or the Nicene Creed. You may have a similar faith background that you have read those creeds in a regular part uh, of your life. Uh, well, the, the Nicene Creed really was kind of established at the Council of uh, Nicaea in 325 A.D. And shortly after the council, uh, a lot of the, the bishops that were faithful to Christ, started to drift a little bit. Uh, so that the church had another council, the Council of Constantinople, in 381. And in 381, there was a three-headed monster, the, the three Cappadocians, uh, Gregory of, of Nyssa, uh, Basil the Great, or Basil of Caesarea, and uh, Gregory of Nazianzus. These three men were the ones who spoke loudly 
uh, through their writing, uh, Basil had been, had been deceased at this point, and through their words to bring the church back to sound doctrine, to bring the church back to uh, the, the faithful view of, of the Trinity. Well, everyone knows those, if you know church history, you may not know, but if you know church history and you read up on it, those three names are one that you would uh, know well of. But you may not know uh, that Gregory uh, of Nyssa and Basil the Great were brothers, and they had an older sister, uh, Macrina the Younger, who was actually formative in helping them establish themselves in the faith. Uh, their grandmother, Marcrina the Older, uh, raised, was ra- raised her kids in a, uh, in a Christian way uh, in pre-Constantinian Rome, meaning that there was no uh, um, favor for being a Christian. Christians were actually persecuted quite strongly. Uh, and Marcrina the Older taught her granddaughter, Marcrina the Younger, to use her resource to serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Gregory uh, wrote of her sister, of his sister, Macrina, at her death. And really what she prayed at her death was, were these words. You, God, did break the flaming sword and did restore to paradise the man that was crucified with you and implored your mercy. Remember me too in your kingdom because I too was crucified with you, having nailed my flesh to the cross for fear of thee, and of thy judgments have I been afraid. Let not the terrible chasm separate me from the elect, nor let the slander stand against me in the way, nor let my sin be found before thine eyes. If in anything I have sinned in word or in deed or thought, or have been led astray by the weakness of our nature. And then she pleaded for God to show her mercy. It's interesting, when she says you did break the flaming sword, it's a reference to what God established at the fall. There was a, a flaming sword that protected people from entering into paradise, that we were expelled from the garden. But God, through Christ, uh, sent, G- God, through Christ, uh, uh, broke the flaming sword and restored us to paradise. Uh, Marcrina was a wealthy woman, lived in uh, an area where, or a time period where it was not favorable to live for Christ, and she lived her life for the glory of God and in the hope of the resurrection. Now, her elder brothers are the ones that we know. But Marcrina's faith in Christ was no less important. No one may ever know her name, but the Lord of glory gave her a new name in the resurrection after she received God's mercy. Beloved, there are countless women who have been faithful to Christ in his church, who have held strong to sound doctrine and have taught the glories of the gospel. And there are many who you will never know their names. And yet we cannot deny their impact. This morning we're going to look at a no-name, wealthy woman who used her resources, like Macrina the Younger. Macrina gave her estate, her wealthy estate, to become a monastery and a convent. So it would continue to propagate the gospel. I hope today, as we look at this no-name wealthy woman in our text this morning, that you would you would see and appreciate the impact of godly women and their role in the kingdom of God. So if you have an outline, uh, the bullets and the outline is provided for you. There's four things I want you to see of this godly woman. Uh, the first is the benevolence of a godly woman, the benevolence of a godly woman. We see that right there in the, in the opening three verses. Look along with me, Second Kings chapter 4, verse 8. Uh, one day Elisha went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he 
pass that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I know this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp, so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. So we see off the bat a little bit about this woman, that she was a, a wealthy woman. Uh, she was, uh, we don't know her name, all we know her as the Shunammite, the one who comes from uh, Shunam. Uh, but we see something about her, her character in these verses. Uh, we, we see that when, when Elisha would pass through, what would she do? She would say, come, eat my food. And that in the ancient world, that was the, a sign of, of grace. That was a sign of welcoming and friendship. Hey, listen, we are opening up my, my home and my table. Uh, meals didn't last for 30 minutes then. They would last for three hours. It was a long affair. And she was opening her home to the man of God because she believed in uh, his ministry. And notice that after a time had passed, she didn't just uh, exert her own authority, but she submitted herself to her husband. Look at verse 9. And she said to her husband, Behold, now I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, table, chair, and a lamp. So what she's doing is she's saying, Listen, I know that we want to serve this man. Why? Because he is a holy man of God. Just think about how many times he would come and, and sit at the table and they would have conversations and he, she would watch his character. And she says, I know this is a holy man of God. Let us make a room for him so that when he comes, he can, he can go there and study and, and rest. But she didn't just exert her will over her husband. She went to her husband, a picture of, of godliness. But she was also just very spiritually discerning. She watched Elisha's life and knew without a shadow of doubt that he was a holy man of God. And she wanted to continue the, the advancement of his ministry. So when, when he came, let's give him a quiet place to study, a place to sleep, a bed, a place, a table to, to lay down scrolls to study. This was a godly woman who was benevolent, who was kind uh, to a minister of the gospel. Can I just say, as I've been studying this verse this week, I, I've been kind of overwhelmed with the gratefulness, with gratefulness for the generosity of our congregation. Uh, I, I think that I hear this often about you inviting each other into each other's homes and sharing a meal. Uh, and the meals are not just for 20 or 30 minutes. They're hours long where you're sharing uh, a time and, and, and sharing God's word uh, together. You know, we have our interns uh, this year. We have one more week uh, of our interns. Uh, you can thank them later. They've done a wonderful job this summer. We've had 15 of them. And every uh, one, for the most part, has said, what have you enjoyed most about this summer? They've said, I've enjoyed having meals with the members of the church. Uh, when, the, when the members of the church open up their home, and then they're able to share their wisdom with these interns. It is their highlight every single summer. You know, one of the, the things that we read from God's Word in First John chapter 2 is that, that the church should open up their home to missionaries. Right? Those who are kind of coming in, uh, traveling, internet ministries with the gospel, they should open up their homes in a God-honoring way, and then send them off in a God-honoring way. Uh, one of my hopes and prayers is that our church, that God would use our congregation to be a training hub of future missionaries and future pastors. Uh, you know that we have some that are, are, are coming into our community uh, right now who are, who are Jay and, and, Lord willing, others who are, are training for the pastoral ministry. We want to bring them into our home, uh, to, our, to our community, to our family, and we want to send them out in a God-honoring way. Uh, so I pray that our congregation would continue to open up their homes, as many of you have already done for uh, interns 
uh, this uh, summer. I'm also just uh, amazed at and grateful for how strong um, and powerful and wise the women are in our congregation. You know, as you, as you think about this woman, this woman's name is not mentioned. She's just simply known as the, the Shumanite, and yet she is known as a picture of godliness. And remember the context here, the context of this era, uh, the, the, the preachers uh, even weren't able to make a living. We saw that in the previous week that uh, the son of the prophet who passed away was not able to provide uh, for his family because this was an area, era where preachers were not looked well upon, where the ministry of the gospel was not propagated because the kings who were in leadership believed in secretism, dual worship, that you didn't have to believe in the, in the one true God, Yahweh, you could believe in, in other gods. So being a, a a, a believer in the one true God was not favorable in this, in this time. So what is the writer of uh, 2 Kings doing? What he's doing is he's saying, look at this woman and look how godless she is. In, in the midst of all this sin and wickedness, look at this godly woman. And beloved, if you just study church history, it's usually not the women who go astray. Usually it's the men who do. And it's a, it's a godly woman who brings them back. Churches have survived for years because of godly women who love the word, who love sound doctrine, and are faithful to keep it. We even see this throughout the Old Testament. Different times you see Sarah and Rebecca, Hannah and Ruth. Ruth is almost similar uh, to uh, this woman because the period of Judges was kind of a dark spot on the nation of Israel. Everyone did what was wise in their own eyes. In the beginning of Ruth, in the time of the Judges, there was a Ruth. Right? A picture of godliness. And then in the Hebrew text, as I've said before, the very next chapter is, uh, uh, Ruth begins after Proverbs 31. So Proverbs 31 ends, a picture of a godly woman, and the very next verse is Ruth. It's, this, it's, it's the writer of the scriptures that's trying to, to lift up women, to say that they are, they are God-honoring, and that they are holy, and they are valuable. Now that would have been completely foreign in this culture, where women were often degraded and pushed to the side. Even in, in the Lord Jesus' ministry, he highlighted women in such a, a precious way. We, we just see how Elizabeth and Mary were kind of given a prominent role in, in redemption. Look at Luke 8, 1 through 3. It says that there were women who traveled with Jesus and supported him out of their own means. The ministry of Jesus was supported by women. Uh, we see others in Paul's ministries at the end when he kind of highlights certain women who've been impactful for the gospel, Lydia being one. Christianity, hear me, Christianity has done more for women and for women's rights than any other religion in the history of the world. That is not the message of our culture. The message of our culture looks at Christianity as, as patriarchal, as, as negative and not honoring towards women. The, the world has kind of flipped uh, history on its head. But if you look and study history, Christianity has done more for women than any other religion. The challenge for us is that we have to continue that. We have to, to live our lives and our faith in such a way that shows that women are valuable and important. If you study the, the history of uh, or kind of what's happening in the evangelical world, uh, in the West, the, the role of women and the church is a prominent issue. 
You can't go to a blog or a prominent group without seeing this idea of women and their role in, in the church. Beloved, we want to be robustly complementary. Uh, the, the view that we, we have according to the, our doctrine is that men and women are created equal in the eyes of God and are both infinitely valuable. Why? Because Christ died for both. And Christ made them male and female in His image. Both to be, to be a man and to, to be made in the image of God. Christ's death on the cross says that all who come to me, man and woman, all are one in Christ. Galatians 3, 28-29 says. And yet we're different. We have different roles. We have different functions in life and in the body. Are we going to be robustly complementary? Are we going to kind of go along with the flow of the world? I mean, how are we going to respond? I mean, in your own life, do you value a woman's opinion? Do you value their counsel? Do you value their godliness, their holiness? Women, do you, do you strive to have a quiet and gentle spirit, as 1 Peter 3 says? Do you strive to understand what your role is in, in life and ministry? Women are essential, hear me, are essential to complete God's mission. This wealthy woman saw a, a, a godly man, a holy man, come into her town and she opened up her home. And says, I don't want to just open up my home. I want to build onto my house so that this man can come into my place. So let me just say this. Ladies, do not let anyone dismiss your value. Do not let anyone dismiss your value as a, as a wife and as a mother. Those are precious roles in the eyes of God. They're glorious callings. Women, do not let anyone dismiss your value in God's world and His church. Give yourself to, to use the gift that God is calling you in the church and in the world. Right? Because God has uniquely made you and gifted you to, to, to make His name glorious in the world. As, as we pray for Sarah, she's going to, to let, let us know the mighty deeds of the Lord. And we want her to come back and say, this is what the, the, the mighty God we serve did in and through my, my life. Let's wrestle with how God wants you to live. I mean, just think about how beautiful it is what God is doing in our church. Women like Sarah, like Jennifer Baker, like Jasmine, who are already on going to the mission field. How precious is that? We, we pray that we would have more that would go internationally and locally. We want to honor women in all, in all things. So, men, will you do all that you can to honor women as mothers and sisters? We know we live in a culture that objectifies and degrades women. But the Bible says, honor them as mothers. Honor them as sisters. I pray that we would, would be the different picture of how women are treated in our midst and when we leave from this, this place. Well, as we see this picture of this benevolent, godly woman, right? This great picture of how you're called to live your, your life to the Lord. The, the second thing is we see the barrenness of a godly woman. The barrenness of a godly woman. Look with me in verse 11. 
One day he came there, speaking of Elisha, and he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, uh, his servant, call this Shunammite. When he called her, he, she stood before him and she said to him, say now to her, see, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? So this is kind of logical for Elijah. Listen, I'm a man of God. I, I have done, you have shown me kindness. There has to be a, a, a motive of why you're sh- doing things that are nice for me. Would you have me speak a word to the king or to the commander of, of the army? What do you want from me because you've shown kindness to me? Isn't that how we typically re- respond to things? Someone's kind to us and we're kind of like, uh, now what, what do I have to do for you? <laughs> there's, that, there's that natural response. But listen to what the woman says. She says this. Uh, she answered, I dwell among my own people. Meaning, I'm good. I have a a good life. I'm with my own people. I have enough. I don't need anything else. Period. She leaves. Verse 14. And he said, What then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, Well, she has no son, and her husband is old. He said, Call her. So notice that this this Shunammite woman did not ask for anything. She says, I'm good. I dwell with my own people. I'm with my own people. And that is is good enough. He says, call her. And this is what what he says. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. And he said, at this season, about this time next year, you will embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord. Oh, man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived, and she bore a son about that time the following spring, as Elijah had said to her. Uh, now, if you, if you know church history, you know your Bible, uh, barrenness was a sign of God about to show his power. But in the ancient world, if you were barren, not able to have children, now we don't exactly know if this woman didn't have any children, it just says she doesn't have a son. We can kind of assume that she doesn't have any children based kind of on, on the context. It doesn't say that, so just keep that in mind. But we do want to see that throughout the Old Testament, there was different women who were barren, and God showed his power through that woman. Because there was hopeless, they were hopeless, and all they wanted was a child. Sarah, Rebecca, Hannah, these women who all they wanted was a child, and they couldn't have. So when Elisha said, you're going to bear a son, no! I can't believe that. After years of hoping and praying and hoping and praying and hoping and being met with unanswered desire, an unanswered desire, I can't take you saying this will happen and it not. And we see, of course, in the text that she conceived and she bore a son. You know, friends, God does not always fulfill our desires the way we expect and the timing that we expect. Uh, There are some women here who um, wanted children, and in God's plan, they were never able to conceive. Uh, There are some women here who desire to to marry and thus far have remained single. Let me just say this. I think it's right and good to continue to give your desires to the Lord. God 
is a good, good father. He wants to, to bless his people. Now, ultimately, the Bible says, Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. The greatest desire of your heart and my heart should be the Lord's presence. It should be that I have Christ, that I know Jesus, that Jesus died for me and rose for me, that I am part of the kingdom of God. That should be your greatest desire. But that doesn't mean that you can't give God your other desires and to feel guilty about it. I have seen that often in, in, in my time in ministry where people feel like, I don't think I could ask God for that. I don't, I don't need that. Well, maybe we even see this with this woman. I don't think it's wrong to bring your request before the Lord. Now, he may not answer your desires the way you want, but I pray that you would continue to go to him with those desires. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, wrote uh, a book called The Abolition of Man. Uh, and in the first chapter, he, he called it weak, Men with Weak Chest. And he says this. He says, we, the culture, thinking about English Western culture in the 1950s, we make men without chest and expect from them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. So both are powerful words. And I think that when we think about our, our day is that we live in a culture that does not honor virtue. It does not honor godliness. And then we're surprised when we find things going on in our culture. I, I just say again, let, men, let's not fall into the trap to be men without chest. Let's have integrity. Let's have honor. Let's have virtue. Let us not fall into the world's trap of uh, objectification and degrading women. Let us fight against pornography and the, the sexualization of women in any way. Young men, I pray that you would pursue Christ, that you would give your life to Christ. Uh, in my college Bible study that, I, that, I, that I've led for four years, I would tell them again and again and again, do not waste your 20s. Do not waste your 20s on worldly pursuits. Give yourself to the Lord. Give yourself to the Lord and serve His church. And if you do that, I promise you that a young lady will see how you are a godly man and they will one day want to follow you. Do not be afraid to, to love Christ well. Uh, and ladies, can I say to you, many of you who are younger, maybe single, um, pray for the godly men uh, to grow in our midst. Pray for the men of our congregation to grow in godliness. Right, one of the greatest things that I know as a pastor is the prayers of God's people. Uh, you tell me all the time, Pastor, I pray for you every day. Praise God for that. I need your prayers to be a godly man. But I am not the only one who needs prayers to be a godly man. There are many in our midst that need that prayer. So pray that God would, would raise up godly men in our midst. And then you ladies, love Christ. Give yourself to Christ. Serve His church. And then look for a man that you can follow. As, you, as they follow Christ. So after we see the, the barrenness, we see the boldness of a godly woman. The boldness of a godly woman. We'll just see this in verse 18. And when the child had grown, he went out one day, his father among the reapers. 
Uh, and he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head. The father said to his servant, Carry him to his, his mother. I, I love that picture. Even as a, a grown uh, man, probably still maybe a young teen at this point, but he's grown. Uh, when, and when he's sick, who does he want? Mama. Right? Go, go give him to mama. And verse 20, And he had lifted him up and brought him to his mother, and the, the child sat in her lap till noon, and then he died. Now remember, this is the, 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 maybe their only child, the child of their own age. There's this precious child in their sight uh, brought to, to him on a normal day when he was healthy and strong, just a headache, and before you know it, she, he is dead. And what does the woman do? Look at the decisive action, verse 21. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys, that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he said, Why will you go to him today? It is either the new moon or the Sabbath. She said, All is well. So in that culture, you didn't go approach a prophet unless it was certain, a certain festival day or the Sabbath. So for her to go to the prophet of God showed a lot of boldness and a lot of a persistence, kind of an audacious move. And she says, listen, all is well. Then she saddled the donkey and she said to her servant, urge the animal on and do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. She had set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, she said to Gehazi, his, his servant, look, there is the Shunammite. You notice they don't have her name throughout this whole text. Run at once to meet her and say to her, it is all well with you. It is all well with your husband. It is all well with the child. And she answered, all is well. Now we know from the story, all is not well. Right? But she said all is well. Why? Husband, can't deal with you right now. Servant, can't deal with you. I need to get to Elisha. Verse 27. And she came to the mountain, to the man of God. And she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi came to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone, for she is in bitter distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Then she said, Did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? She's saying, It would have been better if I never have a child for you to give me a child and take him away. You can just feel the emotion here. Raising a child, your precious child in your old age, and have her stripped from you. He said to Gehazi, tie up your garment and take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. If anyone greets you, do not reply. And lay my staff on the face of a child. Then the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives, as you yourself live, I will not leave you. I'm not going back until you come with me, until you fulfill your promise. So he arose and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff in the face of the child, but there was no sound or sign of life. Therefore, he returned to meet him and told him, the child has not awakened. You just see this picture, right, of bold, decisive action. Lastly, last point. The blessedness of a godly woman. The blessedness of a godly woman. We pick up at verse 32. When Elisha came to the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. You know, if you look at Elijah's ministry and Elisha's ministries, this is a very key part. 
Distress happens, and the man of God does what? He goes to the Lord. Friends, whenever you have trials in your life, the first thing you do should not be to make a phone call or send an email or send a text. The first thing you should do is go to God. Right? You should go to God. That's what God wants. Exactly what we see here. This, this child is, is dead, and Elisha prays. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth and his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite. So he said to her, so he called her, and when he, she came to him, he said, Pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. It's a beautiful picture of God's resurrection power. We see the same thing that happened in Elijah's ministry. Now we see the same thing as happening in Elisha's ministry. What's the point? The point is that God is the author of life. God takes life and God gives life. The woman went to the man of God and God gave life. If you, if you remember the, the, the scripture reading that, that Luke 8, 40 to 56 that Connor read earlier, this is a picture of the Lord doing the same thing. What we see here in Elijah's mystery is, is a window of what's going to happen to the Messiah. We know that, that the prophets searched and inquired of the Holy Scriptures and looked who was going to be the Christ. Well, there's pictures all throughout the Old Testament of, of examples of what the Messiah is going to be and do. And this is one of them. When the Messiah is going to come, he's going to bring life from where there is death. But notice that when, when Jesus walked up into that room and looked at that child, and before he went, he said, she's not dead, she's just asleep. But when he looked at that child dead before him. He didn't pray. He didn't pray. He said, child, arise. Why? Because he was the living God. The living God speaks and brings life. He says, arise. Child, arise. Friends, Jesus is in the ministry of saying, arise. Arise. Stop following your dead pursuits. Arise. Stop following your worldly passions. Arise. Stop following your false hopes. Arise. Arise and come to Jesus. It's that great hymn of the faith. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you full of pity, love, and power. I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms. In the arms of my dear Savior, oh, there are ten thousand charms. Come ye thirsty, come and welcome. God's free bounty glorify. True belief and true repentance, every grace that brings you nigh. Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. But I will arise. And go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms. In the arms of my dear Savior. Oh, there are 10,000 charms. If you look at this story, this godly woman was called. Call the Shunanite woman. 
And you know what she did? She answered the call. And if you look at the text, it said she stood before the man of God. That's exactly how Elijah and Elisha claimed that they walked with God. Before God, whom I stand. Meaning that God is my master, God is my Lord, I will follow him wherever I go. This woman followed the call, because she was a godly woman. My question to you is, will you answer the call? The Lord Jesus is saying to you today, arise. Arise. Whatever sin you're in, leave behind. Arise and come to Jesus. And friends, he will embrace you. He will embrace you in his arms. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he has the power to give life. We thank you that he still calls out to sinners, arise. Arise from our dead lives and pursue life and life more abundantly.